at verses 6 to 15. And I'm so appreciative of these songs that um, that can that repeat these particular um, these particular truths. There's still hope for me today, for the God of heaven loves me. Did you catch it the first time? They said it again. There's still hope for me today, for the God of heaven loves me. And there's aspects like if you read through the Psalms, and sometimes you see that repetitive nature there again. For His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. That's because we need to be reminded of those things. Sometimes it's not one time's not enough. We need to be reminded over and over and over again. So choir, I appreciate, and and music ministry, I appreciate so much you reminding us of this. I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor His Word. Colossians chapter two, again beginning in verse six, going to verse fifteen. I thought this was an appropriate passage for Graduate Recognition Sunday, but also really all of us as well. Beginning in verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead." And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of the flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing triumphing over them in him. The grass withers. And the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So what a joy it was to be able to celebrate four graduates, uh, three who are actually here in person, but one getting on with her life's work, Ph.D. in nuclear engineering from the University of Tennessee. And it's, it's so good to, uh, to be able to, again, to celebrate those milestones with them. In fact, I, I was thinking about this when I was asking Lauren on the front row, and I asked her, when do you walk? Now, a question without any kind of context, that kind of question is this, well, I've been walking for a long time, thank you very much. But no, it, what's the idea is, when do you walk to go and get your diploma? Holly and, and Brian have already done that. Lauren does that, uh, that next week. It's just, just really an exciting time. But when we look at this, our walk is not simply a one-time thing, and it, it's something that is going to as we look at this passage of Scripture, it's something that is happening throughout the entirety of our lives. And what concerns me about many in church and many in Christian life is that Christianity is simply relegated to a ritual one day a week, sometimes one hour a week. If you're super spiritual, you may go to Sunday school as well. If you're really spiritual, you're going to come to members meeting tonight. Just kidding. But if you're, you, you get the idea is that the more, sometimes we think the more stuff and the more activities that we do and the more rituals we participate in, then that's going to make us, you know, really right with God. And in reality, our walk is not a one-time thing. 
our walk is, as we read this passage of Scripture, our walk is about our entire life. Our, our Christianity is a life. It's a, it's a worldview. It is, it, it is not simply just something we do just once. If you look at what Jesus is saying, he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Every day we have to die to ourselves. Every single day. Daily. And follow me, he says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Sometimes we, um, when we hold on to things, my, my nephew and I, we were up at Red Rocks not too terribly long ago, and about a 55, 60 mile an hour gust hit us. And if we were a cartoon and we had been any lighter, we'd have been like that cartoon where it's hanging onto something and our feet are flying up in the air, but we weren't quite there. But it was, it was something. And we were holding on to that rail so tightly that our knuckles turned white. And I'm thinking that's sometimes what we end up doing with things in this world is that we're holding on to this world really tightly because that's where we put all our identity here. And what ends up happening is you can't hold on to two things tightly. You're either going to hold on to the world tightly and Christ very, very loosely. Or you're going to hold on to Christ tightly, white knuckle tight. And, then, and the rest of the world loosely. And I think that's where a lot of our issues come is that we're holding on to the wrong things. We're trying to find our identity in the wrong things, the things that aren't equipped to do that. We're expecting them to write a check that it can't cash. And so when we look at this passage of Scripture, as you look at how this is laid out, we're going to break it up. Verses 6 and 7 is where we're going to start because that's usually a good place to start is at the start, right? Hey, right? So, but when we start there, if we get the, act, the understanding of verses 6 and 7 in place, then what's going to be talked about in verses 8, 9, and 10 will not affect us as badly. But if what we're talking about in verses 6 and 7, we're holding on to it really loosely, then what's going to happen is in verses 8, 9, and 10, what's being talked about there, it's going to get us. Because over and over we see in Scripture is that sin is crouching at the door, ready, ready to get us. That, that the devil is a roaring lion, ready to pounce. And what, what does it say in First Peter? Resist him. Firm in the faith. And so that's what happens. We may wonder, God, why are you letting all of this stuff happen? Well, maybe it's because we're not as rooted and grounded as we need to be. But there's always time. As long as you're able to take that breath in and out, there is an opportunity to be able to continue to move forward and to start anew with your life in Christ. So here's the first one. No, it's not going to be up on this, so you're going to, up on the screen, so you're going to have to hear what I'm saying is that we need to receive and be rooted in Christ. Receive and be rooted in Christ. So when he's talking about therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. When it's talking about walking, it, th- these metaphors seem to be mixed. How can you walk if you're rooted? Because if you're rooted, usually you're pretty well stuck in the ground. But what ta- it's talking about here is as you're walking in your life, because the Bible tells us over and over, we have these songs that are, you know, this, this world is not my home. I'm just the passing through. That's, that's it. 
we are pilgrims. We are traveling in this world, and one day we're not going to be traveling in this world anymore. So just as Holly and Lauren and Brian and Jana, they were walking, and that was a one-time event, and they had a starting point, and they had an ending point. Now, the walk in Christ is going to last a little longer, but it's going to have a starting point, and it's going to have an ending point. So how are we walking? Well, we have to realize that we, none of us are born Christians. We have to receive Christ. All of us have been born again, right? All of us have been born at one time or another because we're here. That's how we get into the world. But the Bible tells us over and over, Jesus tells us repeatedly, you must be born again. So there is a walk that begins at some point when you say, no longer I, but you. He must increase. I must decrease. He must become everything. I must become nothing. Because I am dead in my trespasses and sins. God made me alive. We weren't just sick and need a physician to make us better. We're dead in our trespasses. And God is one who makes us alive. And so we have to receive Christ. As you received him, so walk in him, and you're being rooted and grounded and built up in him, established in the faith. Over and over we see this, this, this little phrase that's going on, in him, in him, in him, in him, in him. And that's the, that is the sum total of our walk with Christ, is that we have been unified with him. If you say you're a Christian and you're not having much to do with Christ, well, you've missed the root word of the word Christian. Christian means little Christ. You are walking in Christ. You are of Christ. And we have to be very, very careful. Psalm 51.5 talks about how, behold, David says, um, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. We need Christ. Without Christ, we are in our sin and we are dead. Last week we talked about, was it last week? Yeah, we talked about the four soils, where there was the hard soil, where people are so busy it was just trampled down and it didn't, it didn't dig in. And some of you may be like that right now. I might be preaching you know, the word to you. I could be preaching the word to you really hard where this little vein is popping out on my ever-expanding forehead. And as this continues on, you know, I'm really preaching hard, but it doesn't mean you're going to receive it well. You may not have a heart that's ready to receive it. You may have the thorns where the cares of the world are choking it. Or you may, have, you may have good soil ready to receive it. The thing is, is that we need to be rooted and grounded in the things that last. Setting a trajectory to all of eternity because, again, our walk is only going to last so long. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 and 19, it talks about that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength, strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? When you know Christ, you see it. You get it. But that you also may be filled with all the fullness of God. I read to you earlier from Psalm 1 where it was like, he is a, like, like a tree that is planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers, and the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Why? There's no root. There's no nourishment. There's no way that they can grow. They can't take hold. And that's what we have to be very, very careful. You coming to church, that could be just geography. 
It could be just geography. But if there's nothing spiritually going on where you're being connected with Christ, then, yeah, again, geography does not save you. Being in Christ saves you. It's a spiritual geography that is going on. And this is stuff that has to be taught. We're not given this right at the very beginning. It has to be taught. But when we know it, we're going to be thankful. You know, we as Christians, we should be the most thankful people on the planet when we realize all that Christ has done for us. And yet, how, how come it's so often that we, we, can, we can find ourselves being some of the grumpiest people on the planet? Why can't these people behave themselves? Why can't they do this? Why can't they do that? We have no reason to be grumpy if we're in Christ because our eternity has been set and our life has been given to us even now. And I hope that's the case for you. Second one, let, let's get into this because we're going to see what the other side of it is. And that's where we talk about, secondly, find freedom in the fullness of Christ. And so the first verse you see here in verse 8 of this next paragraph, see to it that no one takes you captive. That's a military term. That's really what it, it's literally saying is see, the one, see that no one comes in and takes you prisoner, that takes you captive. In what way? Well, by philosophy. There's a number of words that are here. By philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. When we look at a lot of our academic institutions, we see that they may find themselves feeling more sophisticated and intellectually astute the further they get away from the Bible because they believe that the Bible is what entraps you and is a snare for you, and they believe that the more we get away from that, the more freedom we will have. And they are, ladies and gentlemen, absolutely backwards. The further you get away from the things of God who made you and wired you and is the head of all things the more you're entrapping yourself and you're locking yourself in a jail and you're the one that has the key doing it. And then you just throw it away if you don't want to have anything to do with Christ. I know growing up when we were talking about philosophy, there was people that would get nervous when you would go to school and they would have to take introduction to philosophy. And they read a passage like this and they're thinking that all philosophy is bad. But there's actually a Christian branch of Christian philosophy which shows you not only how to pursue the wisdom of God, but how to live it out. But when you talk about philosophy, the word philosophy actually means lover of wisdom. And we as Christians should be the ones who love true wisdom above all. Why? Because if you go back to Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, it talks about that in Christ are hidden the treasures of all wisdom and knowledge. So if you're trying to pursue wisdom and you're not pursuing Christ who is the author of wisdom and is the treasure of all wisdom and knowledge, you're going down a fool's path. You, 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 you just are. And when we, when we take a look at what is being said here, Romans 1 verses 21 to 23, that although they knew God, they did not honor him as God nor give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, one of the things that happens for us is that, no, we may not be chasing after creeping things and birds and all. That's what they were chasing after then. What we're chasing after now is different ideas, different worldviews that try to give you an understanding of how to live in this life. And 
And I'm telling you, in our culture, the more you try to be tethered to the Scripture, the less they will take you seriously because you are, because you are pursuing a wisdom that they are rejecting. We have to be really, really careful. John Dickinson wrote a book called The Great Evangelical Recession, and this was all the way back in 2013. It's hard to believe that was nine years ago. It's depressing when you think about it, how quickly time seems to be passing. But Dickerson in 2013 was talking about how college, how college professors view different areas of religion, Christianity included. And what they were saying is, is that when they were taking this poll, that 3% had, were, were against Jews. They didn't like the Jewish faith. That 9% were against, against non-evangelical Christians. 22% were against Muslims, but 53%, 53%, over half of them were anti-evangelical Christian. By that I mean evangelical Christian. That's not a political term. That, that Originally that term was evangelical, where you believe that people could only be saved by the good news of Jesus. And they were against that. So if we are sending our kids to some of these state schools then what we're sending them into is our our classrooms and professors and administrations who want to move all of the Jesus out of you that they possibly can. Because they believe that's a myth, they believe that's superstitious, and they actually believe that that is detrimental to the world because it's not helping the world advance. It's taking the world back. Do you remember what someone told Billy Graham one time? Oh, Mr. Graham... You are, if you keep preaching like this, you are going to take the world back 50 years. And he said, well, I don't want to do that. I want to take the world back 2,000 years. Back to where we are, where there is a recognition, again, philosophy, empty deceit, according to the human tradition. Those are traditions. When you have a tradition, that means you're passing something down from one to another. And we as Christians, we have our traditions, now, when you think tradition, sometimes you may think of it in a negative way. And that's sometimes how we look at it. Well, that's the way we do it. You know, we, we tell new members, and members have, new members have ideas and all that. Oh, we're going to do this. Well, that's not the way we do things around here. That's a tradition. But that could be a tradition that's according to man, according to people, not according to Christ. And so when you look at these traditions, again, 2 Thessalonians 2.15, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Um, 2 Timothy 2, in, in verse 2, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Our faith is one that has to be passed down. That's why we pray for families to come in and, and, and kids and grandkids to come in because that's a faith that needs to be passed down to the next generation. But when we're talking about human traditions that are away from the things of Christ, well, that's something that we have to be very much on guard with. The elemental spirits, the rudiments of the world. If we are just going after the things of the world, that's like going to elementary school. When we start going after the things of Christ, that's grad school. We're, we're all in because he is Lord of all and he has the fullness of all. So when you get to verses 9 and 10, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Back then they were worried about what the they were, group called the Gnostics and the Gnostics were ones who believed that they could have this divine knowledge that emanates from God. 
And what they also believed is that anything that had to do with the body, bad. Anything that has to do with the spirit, good. And they believed that they would one day become like God. The Mormons are like that now. They believe that the Mormons are ones who are ultimately going to get their own planet with their own God and with their own family that they can populate. And so there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. We think it's a new truth and many times it's an old lie. That's what we have to be very careful about. And so when we're talking about the fullness of deity, don't go after empty deceit. Go after the fullness of Christ. Because in him, the fullness of Christ dwells bodily. If you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. And that's what we have to make sure that we're, we're, we are not jettisoning our, jettisoning our faith when we go off to school. Because there's people that are teaching that have a lot of letters behind their names. And look really, look really smart and they're very articulate about all of these things. The question we would have to, have to ask is, what are they doing with Christ? What are they doing with him? If they're rejecting him, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold them at arm's length. I'm not going to hold on to them tightly with the white knuckles. I'm going to hold on to that with an open hand. And we have to make sure that we are doing that, not just in school, but whatever we're doing, whatever we're listening to on the TV, whatever we're reading on the Internet, we have to be sure that we are being discerning in all that we're doing. Because as we look in verses 11 to 15, look at all that Christ has done for you. And that's where number three is this proceed in what God provides. When God gives a command... He, is, he, he gives a command for two reasons. One is to protect you, and two is to provide for you. All of you can give testimonies about times when you did something that you knew God did not want you to do that was against what he had outlined in his word. Very few people would be able to say, I'm glad I did that. A lot of times what ends up happening is you, you, there is a lot of regret, but you may not know how to get out of that pattern. Christ can get you out of those deceptive and destructive patterns if you will let him. If you will let him. Look at what he's done for you. Verse 11, and see all the with hymns and in hymns and such, because it's all of Christ. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Just think about how that old system was. In order for you to be a part of, of the people of God, you had to have surgery. You had to have surgery. Whether you were, if you were older and you came to the Jewish faith a little later, surgery. But if you were born to Jewish parents and on that eighth day you would go to the temple and according to Genesis 17, you would be circumcised. It was basically an outward sign of an inward covenant. The problem was is that it became to be completely seen as physical and there was no spiritual connection to it over time. And that's what can happen to us, right? Are you a Christian? Well, I go to church all the time. That's physical. What is your life like Monday through Saturday? You're separating the physical ritual from the spiritual relationship. Don't do that because you're going to dry up quicker in life when it comes to your relationship with Christ. And then you're going to blame him. Lord, I went to church. Yeah, but did you go? Was it just geography? There's something else going on. Now what it's talking about, and, and it says it over and over in the New Testament, is that there's a cutting away of the flesh 
so that the Spirit can reign full and free. Ezekiel 36 talks about that. They were taken away a heart of stone and now we're given a heart of flesh. Rocks don't feel things. And so if you have a heart of stone, you're not going to feel the things of God who's moving you in the direction he would have you to go. But if you have a heart of flesh, then all of a sudden you're now sensitive to things. And you may end up going to your friends that you used to run around with. And you may go to them and say, you know what, I've been reading this thing in the Bible and I'm feeling this, eh. That's Greek for conviction, right? I'm feeling this, eh, in me. And I just can't be a part of that anymore. Well, but I'll lose my friends. What kind of friends were they? I'll lose my reputation. Is it about your reputation or Christ's? Well, what are are they going to say? What are they going to say? And what can they say? He's already said it. Let's lean into that. So circumcision, so no longer is the flesh dominating, but the the Holy Spirit is dominating. Then we get to verse 12. We're just going to take this piece by piece and bit by bit. Verse 12, you've been buried with him in baptism. Baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead couple of weeks just like we had a few months ago we're gonna have a baptism the water does not save you if you're a christian you have already hear me you have already been baptized because the spirit has now washed you clean what the water does is show everybody else on the outside what Jesus has done on the inside, and it shows that you are not ashamed. It's the first step of discipleship. It's not the last step of, of salvation. Some would say that. I would disagree. It's the first step of discipleship where you're getting up there and you're saying, look, I know there's a lot of eyes looking at me, and I know I'm about to get really wet in front of a lot of people. That's always fun. But when you realize what's, being, what's, what's happening here is that now you are saying, I'm not ashamed to let people know that Jesus Christ is my Lord. You think that is not a game changer? Because you're stepping out. Does not Jesus say anyone who is ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of him before my Father who is in heaven? Don't be ashamed. Baptism is a picture of what Jesus has done to wipe us clean, and we have now been raised to new life. That's the picture. That's the picture. And if any of you have never gone, if there's some of you here who are Christians, but you say, I've never gone through that. I'm scared of water. I don't like this. People are going to look at me. I don't. See the text that is before you and know that he will be with you as you obey him. He's promised never to leave you or forsake you in that way. And then when it talks about, in verse 13, and you who were, now he's talking to Christians. If he was talking to non-Christians, he would change that verb. What would the verb say? Are. And some of you this morning are. Some of you this morning, you have never received Christ. You haven't done anything with Christ. You couldn't care about doing anything with Christ. You are dead. You may feel like you're more alive than ever before. You're dead. In your trespasses and sins. The first sermon that I preached here, I told you about, because it was from Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, and I told you about this smart aleck youth that came up to the pastor and said, you tell me that I feel like it, I'm, that I'm dead. Am I, I'm, not, I'm not dead. I don't, I, I'm, I'm here I am. But he said, well, what would happen if you took a corpse? I know. If you took a corpse and you put that there and you put a 400-pound weight upon that corpse, would that corpse feel anything? No, and neither do you, because you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You can't feel it. But when God begins to work in you, you begin to feel it. 
you begin to feel the gravity of the fact that you're separated from him and that the, this weight of sin is against your account. How in the world you can't get it off of you? Right. You can't. But I know one who can. If you read this passage, you who were dead in your trespasses and sin, he's talking to Christians, you who were dead in your trespasses and sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, who made you alive? Oh, no, I made myself alive. I walked down that aisle. God is the only one that can raise anybody from the dead. And he made you alive. God, he did it. God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. How many of our trespasses? All of them. You mean even that thing that I did? Yeah. You mean even that thing that I said, that thing that I thought he forgave that? Yeah. Well, how did he do that? He did it by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside how? Nailing it to the cross. When Jesus died, the most innocent one that ever walked the face of the earth, when he died on the cross, he was not merely setting an example. When he died on the cross, he was paying for that very thing that was going to send you to hell and that very thing that was separating you from him. Let's just get it right. This is what he did. He took that for you. He, it was nailed to the cross. He took it. And what did he give you in return? His righteousness. Because now you're right before God. That's what he gave you. That's not a fair trade. It doesn't seem like a fair trade. It's like Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown's favorite player was a guy named Joe Slobotnik. And he traded a a Henry Aaron in one of the comic strips for a Joe Slobotnik. It wasn't a fair trade. And it doesn't feel like a fair trade when it comes to Christ. You mean Christ died for us? It's not a fair trade, but are we the beneficiaries of it? Uh, Yeah, you bet we are. At the cross... At the cross where I first saw the light. And the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith that I received my sight. And now I'm happy all the day. That's why we sing these songs to remind us of them. He, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. Triumphing over them in him. What rulers? The heavenlies. The rulers in the heavenlies. This is what happened. So some takeaways as we... Ponder on what we've heard today. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you're in Christ. And Christ is in you. Do you live like it? Do you live as you are? Do you walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling of Christ, as Ephesians 4.1 says? But if you've not yet surrendered to Christ, and by that I mean you haven't given your life not talking about just a ritual, not just talking about an event, your life over to him. I want you, before you leave here, to consider all that Christ has accomplished on your behalf. Think about what he's done for you. Consider how much he loved you to bring you to himself, to rescue you from your sins, to rescue you from your brokenness, your deadness. Consider what God did to make you alive by the giving of his only son for you. During the Spanish-American War, Clara Barton, she was overseeing the work of the Red Cross in Cuba. 
And one day, Colonel Theodore Roosevelt, soon to be President Theodore Roosevelt, came to her and wanted to buy food for his sick and wounded Rough Riders, but she refused to sell him any. Roosevelt was perplexed. His men needed the help, and, and he was prepared to pay out of his own funds. But when asked someone, when he asked someone why he would not buy the supplies, he was told, Colonel, just ask for it. A smile broke over Roosevelt's face. Now he understood the provisions were not for sale. All he had to do was simply ask, and they would be given freely. Have you asked? No, I don't deserve it. Bingo. You can't earn it. Ask. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Wherever chapter of life you may find yourself, where, whatever environment you may occupy, whatever class you're in, whatever roommate you have, whatever comes, give your life to Christ. Receive Christ. Walk in Christ, rooted and built up and established in the faith as you were taught, abounding, overflowing in thanksgiving. I pray that's the case for you. If you haven't received Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that this would be the morning. I'll be up here to talk to you about it. Or you can just find someone that you know knows Christ and you just say, I need to know. But if there's some of you where you're realizing that my walk in him is not where it needs to be. I'm in the ditch. I'm off the road. I'm going another path. He's, he's here to remind us to get back on the path that he has for us. Come to Christ. Don't delay. Father, thank you that we can come and be a part of what you're up to. Thank you, Lord, for meeting us where we are, for there's no way where we could climb our way to where you are. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, who took our sins and nailed it to the cross, that, that, that which was at which was toward our account, no longer is to our account because Christ has put it to his. Thank you, Lord, for that deposit that was made. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've accomplished for us. And if there's anyone here that has never received Christ as Lord and Savior, may they not leave this place until they know they are right with you. Help us, Lord, in all that we do and say. Guide us. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We're getting ready to sing our song of commitment it's a it's a song that uh was written back in the late 60s and it still holds hard to us today without him we could do nothing i pray that this would be something that chimes with you if you haven't received christ come forward if you want if you need to pray we're here to do so as well let's stand together as we commit our lives to christ
so grateful God brought you here today. I don't know um, what what He's doing in you, but I know that He's doing something in you. And I just pray that if you sense what that is, lean into it. Don't run away from it. Because the fact that God is still moving and working in this broken world is a miracle of, of galactic proportions, and I'm so thankful for that. Um, please refer to your worship guide to find ways to be able to engage, but we have our members meeting tonight at 5 o'clock, or this afternoon, as the case may be, at, uh, at 5 o'clock. It's nice that uh, we're able to get out of these members meetings and it still be daylight. It's wonderful. They don't last that long, but it's wonderful that that happens. And also, again, as Bill mentioned earlier, we will be rescheduling our men's breakfast for this coming Saturday uh, on the 28th at, it is the 28th, correct? Yes, at uh, at 8 o'clock. And so we'll pray that the weather holds up and we'll be able to have that wonderful time together. But there's other things going on. Please make sure that you're referring to your worship guide as well. Before we break, um, they, they thought that I was going to forget. Not going to do that. Um, but some of you know my fa- I have some family that is in town. Everybody look at them. Just get it out of your system. Just get it out of your system. Look. <laughs> so, yeah. So, my mom and dad, if you could just raise your hand so they can uh, they can know and everybody can. and so next month they're going to be married sixty six years so be sure that you uh, uh, congratulate them for that and then uh, Cindy's mom Judy and her aunt Phyllis um, Cindy's aunt Phyllis right right and then Terry is is with us as well you all are heading back home tomorrow it's uh, it's been a quick trip mom and dad you they're staying until Thursday. So uh, if you could just make sure that you make them feel uh, real welcome, give an ARBC welcome as well. And then those of you that graduated, I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. Just, just one more thing. If you could be with me in the, uh, in the foyer so we can have everybody just up front be able to congratulate you for this fantastic accomplishment. We are just so grateful for that. Larry, you thought you were never going to get up here, were you? But you are. Here you are. So... <laughs> Larry, um, Larry Morrow is our Deacon of the Week. That's how this is working. You're starting off Deacon of the Week for this week. And so he's going to uh, close us in a word of prayer. If you have to be a guest, hang around so we can get a chance to get to know you a little bit better. But Larry, thank you so much. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day that we can come and worship you. We thank you for the great message we heard, the one from the Scripture, Lord, that we know will stand above all else. Lord, I just pray that we will take this to heart, that we will show what we have accomplished in our lives for you through 